Hi, this is Dr. Steve Vargo. I'm one of the IDOC consultants and your host for this edition of the IDOC Focal Point podcast. And my guest today is a fellow IDOC consultant, our, our own HR consultant, Amy Alvarez. And we, we wanted to get together to discuss some of the challenges and, and answer a few of the questions, mostly pertaining to uh, COVID-19 in the, uh, just kind of give an update on, on what we're hearing from our offices and, and hopefully answer some of the uh, the more common questions. There's, um, I think what we've seen is an uptick in cases in our, our members' practices amongst their staff. And like any other staff situation, each case is different and can feel overwhelming. Um, so the, uh, you know, this might mean the practice owner is more likely to make a mistake in, in managing positive cases or exposure concerns. Uh, so we've created a guide for practices, and, and we wanted to review it to, to try and clarify as much as possible. So we're just going to get into some of those areas today. Um, quick disclaimer, the information is accurate as of August 14th, 2020, and is based on the CDC's direction for healthcare. So please check with your Department of Public Health to confirm your state does not have different protocols for employers and this conversation does not constitute legal or medical advice. So, Amy, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm, um, you know, it, it's uh, it's been a, an interesting ride for sure, but I think that we're getting to a point where we can uh, feel a little bit more confident in these things, which is it's feeling nice. <laughs> it, it feels like we're turning some corners, and it feels like yeah. we are starting to at least understand things better. Obviously, the future remains very much uncertain, but hopefully we just uh, keep getting through it together. Um, right, Amy, exactly. I think we've all been watching the news and seeing what's going mm -hmm. on and, and schools reopening and, and the number of cases. Um, what, what have you been hearing? Has there been a, a higher number of positive employees or reports of exposure in the practices that you've been working with? For sure, I think uh, across the board, no matter where you're located in the United States at this point, you are seeing an incredible uptick in uh, whether it's it's cases or it's the risk of exposure, um, which presents its own challenges to the business because the em employee's exposure may mean that they are a positive case. It may also just mean that that employee um, is now exhibiting symptoms of some type of sickness and that presents very unique challenges that are different than what we're used to as far as how we would typically handle a sick employee and the volume at which some practices are experiencing this is you know getting in some instances is getting upwards of 50 percent of staff so it's certainly presenting some very unique challenges to practices and of course there's been uh, several directives that put a lot of responsibility on the employer to manage this appropriately. And of course, being in healthcare, we want to keep our patients safe and doctors or practice owners want to keep themselves safe and their family safe. So um, a lot of challenges coming out of the uptick in cases across the country. So what symptoms should employers be looking for what what are they what are they seeing and, and i know there's a gamut there and in a lot of cases mm -hmm. there may even be asymptomatic patients but uh i know you get a lot of those emails and calls oh my god a patient just showed up with xyz condition um what what are you hearing on your end 
So, you know, there's, it still runs the gamut. We're still talking about, you know, cough, shortness of breath, fatigue, it's almost your typical flu-like symptoms. And then there are some telltale signs that are um, very indicative of COVID-19, one of which being a, a new loss of taste or smell. Now, and not necessarily a question that we think to ask most people. Um, and then there's also different symptoms that are experienced by individuals depending on how their body reacts to the, the virus. So it could be a sore throat, it could be congestion or a runny nose, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, headaches, muscle and body aches, um, and a fever. Uh, so in, in all reality, not one or not two cases of COVID-19 will present in the same exact way. And to your point, then there are also asymptomatic carriers. So that's what makes some of this management difficult. Now, these are questions that most practices are asking their patients as they come in or asking their patients the day before they come in when they're confirming their appointments. But these are also questions that we want to be asking our employees if they've been experiencing any of these symptoms or if anyone in their household or anyone that they've been exposed to is experiencing any of these symptoms because that can indicate a risk for either exposure or that that employee is potentially at risk for being sick. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that I've been to, since things have, have reopened or partially reopened, been to the dentist, went and got a haircut and that's one thing that's changed. There's a lot more questions at the beginning um, as, as part of their policy. So what to do when an employee reports to work with symptoms? So in healthcare, an employee who reports to work with symptoms should be quarantined immediately from their peers and required to go home. The, this, this would be any one of the symptoms related to COVID-19 as we've listed here and will be available in, in the uh, practice guide. Um, but again, any, any person who presents with a fever over 100 degrees and any person who is experiencing any type of symptom, the challenge becomes that I, you know, I will present with a runny nose because I have allergies or um, I may have a fever because of a different infection, but we do need to ensure that we are taking the highest level precaution by sending that employee home for the day and then requiring that employee to monitor those symptoms once they arrive there. So it, the employee, once arriving home, should be taking their temperature um, two times a day and monitoring those symptoms to see if they decrease. Um, it, when an employee presents with symptoms, it does become that employee's prerogative if their priority is to be tested for COVID-19 or not. Um, but typically, if we have someone presenting with symptoms in the practice, we would require a ongoing quarantine until they are cleared to return. So according to the CDC, cleared to return is either 10 days from the onset of symptoms or a fever reduction or no fever for 24 hours since the original fever presented without the use of any type of medication and a significant reduction in symptoms. So it was before that it was the employee could not have symptoms at all, no cough, um, 
or any type of respiratory symptoms. But because we know that this presents with several different symptoms that are not necessarily respiratory related, and because in healthcare we do need our employees to come back as quickly as possible, we're finding that when the symptoms are reducing, the risk of transmission is incredibly reduced. So as those symptoms come down, the employee is much less contagious, whereas they were actually more contagious even before they started developing symptoms. So something that I'm seeing now in the school is the schools have reopened and they're, it's, they're trying hybrid and there's partial in-person and, and partial virtual, but we're starting to hear from more parents that are saying that they're getting phone calls that their child needs to uh, stay at home, quarantine for a few weeks because they were around somebody else. There's been a few positive cases in the school. And if another child was sitting, you know, seated next to a, um, that child that had tested positive, then they're taking those precautions. So how does this work in a typical optometry practice? Um, let's say the employee um, uh, has no symptoms, but they've been exposed to somebody who did or was positive. So. So the, if the employee themselves has been exposed to someone who was positive or, um, or is exhibiting symptoms, it is recommended that you follow the same quarantine guidelines that you're talking about in the school. So um, the CDC has updated exposure quarantine to only 10 days. So 10 days from the exposure or 10 days from the positive test, whichever happened sooner. And that employee is then asked again to make sure, just monitoring to make sure that they are not exhibiting symptoms during that time frame. If the employee themselves tests positive, so um, employee comes to work, goes home with symptoms, or maybe calls over the weekend and says, I've, I've gotten sick and I'm gonna go to get tested. Once that employee tests positive, Based on what you've, you're seeing in schools and, and that kind of thing, the worry would be, I am going to have to shut down the entire practice in order to quarantine everyone, right? Everyone's going to have to quarantine. That is not the case, and it's for a couple of reasons. One, because the employee was out um, pretty quickly, and that's why we're going to be doing the, 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 the screenings. We're going to be asking our employees questions about travel and exposure and making sure that we're doing our due diligence to ensure safety. But the other thing is that in healthcare, we are, practices are, are practicing such high level of safety protocols at this point that those safety protocols are considered the, the protection in between. So it is not required that if an employee tests positive that everyone that that employee was, was exposed to is quarantined as long as the practice is screening all of their patients, screening all of their employees. Everyone is required to wear masks at all times. We're doing the best that we can in regards to social distancing, right? Trying to keep workstations as far away from each other as possible, making sure that uh, employees are not taking breaks at the same time in our small break rooms, that kind of thing. And and just being continuing to be as diligent as possible within those safety parameters. Yeah, I think doing if an employee. Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry, Amy. Go ahead. I thought you were done. Oh no, uh, just saying that if the employee, if an employee says, "Oh, I've been exposed. I want to be tested. I want to. I want to request my doctor test me." 
that is okay and that employee would go out to be tested and they would be required to quarantine until their negative test came back. But it isn't that you have to shut down the entire practice in order to do this. And just to be aware, if the doctor decides, I want everyone in the practice tested, I want to have everyone tested to make sure that everyone is negative, the practice does carry the cost of that exercise. Okay. If that test comes back negative, are you good to return? You mentioned before having a but, sniffle because you have allergies. That describes both of us. So we go right. get tested. It's negative. Anything else to do there? Or are we just good to go? We're good to go as long as there has been a period of time. Um, so there's two things. One, we want to make sure that we are still monitoring during that period of time. So in some places, we are seeing that tests are delayed seven to 10 days. So unfortunately, that employee is going to be out until that negative test comes back. And during that period of seven to 10 days, we're asking the employee to just pay attention to their symptoms, make sure that runny nose doesn't get worse, they don't develop a cough or a fever. And as long as all of that is okay, yes, the employee is clear to return to work at their negative test. If the employee, say, gets a rapid test, and has those results within 24 to 48 hours, a negative test does clear you to return to work. However, the recommendation is still to be as diligent as possible in regards to trying to keep the quarantine for as long as possible and being as, as safe as possible around those safety regulations, just in case, right? Just ensuring that that employee is um, again, practicing social distancing, wearing their mask, or doing all of our cleaning or washing our hands, those kinds of things. So uh, something else that'll come up from time to time is travel, that I have an employee who either was at a part of the country, uh, in particular, that might be more of a hotspot or is uh, planning to go to an area that's a hotspot. As an employer, how do you handle that? Well, we can't prevent our employees from participating in lawful activity, right? So um, we can't stop our employees from traveling. We can require our employees to disclose that they are traveling. And it is important that the practice have a policy in place and communicate that policy to their team. But the expectation is that if they are going to leave the state that they're communicating that they are planning to do so. Depend, now, they're really, unfortunately, the answer to this depends on what the state has decided. So I'll give you the example I can use is in the state of Connecticut where I live, there's a list of, it, it ebbs and flows, but I think right now there's 32 states and a couple of territories where if you return to Connecticut from that state, that state or territory, the state requires you under penalty of fines the quarantine for 14 days once you return home. That means that if an employee at a practice in Connecticut or any other state that has put these types of travel restrictions in place goes on a trip, when they come back, they are mandated by the, by the state government to quarantine before they can return to work. Now, if there is work that the practice can have that person do from home, fabulous. In the state of Connecticut in particular, they have a rule in place that if you schedule a test once you return, that quarantine period can be reduced. So unfortunately, it does depend on how the state is handling returns to 
or people entering that state and what they're requiring as far as quarantine. The best answer I can give you is to say the member should reach out to the Department of Public Health for their state. For instance, the state of Virginia does not have a rule in place in regards to required or mandated quarantine upon arriving in Virginia. However, the Department of Labor has instructed a couple of our members to either require that employee to quarantine when they return or to schedule a test once they return so that they can have that clearance. It is a test that the employee took before they went on vacation is not going to be applicable in this particular situation. Sorry if I'm making you repeat yourself here. You mentioned something mm -hmm. before about if um, an employer wanted to get all employees tested. I just want to circle back to that. Can, a, can an employer require that, that em all employees get tested? And you may be a, a part B to that question. Can they require a negative test before someone returns to work? So... If they are, if they, if a practice says I am mandating that everyone has to get tested for COVID-19 as, as of today, so it's, it's Friday the 14th of August and I'm saying everyone has to get tested, the practice carries the burden of cost. If it is a requirement for those employees to get tested, the practice would carry that burden. So you would likely go to, um, um, an industrial medical facility, typically places where they do drug testing and other services for uh, businesses and coordinate those employees to receive testing. There are a couple of practices that have done that. It's cost them somewhere between $500 and $5,000. They have done that for their staff to ensure the safety of everyone returning. However, in the question of can I, return, can I require a test before someone comes back, that depends. So the CDC is not necessarily recommending a test-based strategy in, in order to clear someone to return to work. Time and symptom-based is, is their top suggestion just because of the burden on the system currently. So because we don't have um, a consistent strategy for testing across the country, the recommendation is that uh, a time-based strategy where we're quarantined for a certain amount of time or symptom-based strategy where we're ensuring that it's that symptoms are reduced in that period of time is utilized at a higher rate than testing. Um, the, and the other part of that or the other it depends is state to state that differs. As I, as I said in the example of using the state of Connecticut, the state of Connecticut has said employers can require, can offer an employee the option to be tested for COVID-19 upon returning to the state after travel, for instance. And that would be an acceptable use for the practice to then say, you have to be tested for COVID-19 before returning. This is why it's so important for uh, any practice owner to follow up with their Department of Public Health before putting any strategy in place. And if it's been more than a couple of weeks since that member has touched base with the Department of Public Health, it's always a good idea to check in because these protocols are changing. I don't know, it feels like they're changing every day. Um, but as we learn more and as the state situation changes, 
there becomes different strategies that need to be employed depending on the particular situation. Um, and it is recommended to start on the state level, then work your way down to the county, then check in with your local Department of Public Health if you're not getting the response that you need. These depart departments of public health, much like the Department of Labor at this point, are overwhelmed by the amount of requests and needs that uh, individual businesses have. So it is important that uh, the practice owner practice as much due diligence as possible. If they are unable to get in touch with their state, county, or local Department of Public Health to get an answer based on the state recommendation, what we're recommending is that the practice owner document when they called and who they called and their inability to get an answer and then follow the CDC guidelines. You mentioned costs before as far as the employer being on, having to pay the costs if it was a requirement for all employees to get tested. What about if an employee has to be out um, for any of these reasons? Does the employer have to pay them? So um, there are a couple of different options for an employee that is out. Um, in some states there is a mandatory sick leave, so an employee could absolutely use their sick leave. An employee could absolutely use paid time off if the practice is in a position to allow employees to spend that, those hours down for this need. The employee can, employer or the practice can also offer their employees families first emergency paid sick leave. There is an exemption, yes, that exists for healthcare workers. So um, the practice owner can decide that the employees in the practice are exempt from Families First. However, if they do not decide that they are exempt from Families First, each employee would be eligible, each employee that's been with the practice for more than 30 days would be eligible for up to 80 hours of time that could be used for um, a mandatory requirement by a local state or federal government um, while they're seeking a medical diagnosis for COVID-19, so if they're exhibiting symptoms but uh, working with a doctor, if they've been exposed and they're working with a doctor in regards to a diagnosis, or if they have received a positive test for COVID-19 already, even if they do not exhibit symptoms. The up to 80 hours is just based on that employee's average work week. So if an employee works typically 40 hours per week, they would be eligible for 80 hours of pay towards this, towards this benefit. If the employee typically works 32 hours a week, they would be eligible for 64. If they usually work 16, uh, it's only 32. So it's, a, it's based on the employee's typical number of hours worked and does have to fall into that criteria and is a one-time bank. Each employee gets that many hours one time and if they happen to unfortunately be exposed twice, um, they would only have been eligible for pay under the emergency paid sick leave one time versus every time. Got it. Well, thank you, Amy, for clearing up a lot of these things. It's a strange world we live in, and it, it may get stranger before it gets uh, less strange. I know your HR uh, expertise has been at the uh, forefront of what we've, uh, what a lot of our members have, have needed. 
Um, anything else you want to add before we sign off? Just remember, you know, those members that are, are worried about offering Families First because of the expense, it does come with a full 100% of wages is reimbursed with a federal payroll tax credit, and they are reimbursed on that on a quarterly basis when they fill out uh, Form 941. And most of our members work out with a payroll company, so it really is just communicating with that payroll company, this is how much I spent on um, emergency paid sick leave in the past quarter, and the payroll company will file for them and take care of the rest. So 100% of wages is reimbursed. If I spend $1,000 on these wages in a quarter and my payroll tax burden was you know, $1,500, I'm only paying $500 towards federal payroll taxes that quarter. And the same, even more than that, if I spent $2,000 and my burden was $1,500, I would receive a reimbursement from the IRS of $500 uh, for that that overspend. So 100% of wages is covered in that. Yes, the practice does have to cover that expense up front, but they will receive some type of reimbursement for anything spent. So it is a worthwhile benefit because it reduces that question of, can I keep my employees out? Is there something that I can do for them during this time um, to make sure that we're all focusing on the highest priority, which is just staying, staying as safe as possible and getting healthy if we do need that time to recover. Perfect. Great place to great place to end there on a positive note. So thanks again, Amy, so much for um, uh, for spending a little time here to clear some of these things up. And and I'll just add that don't hesitate. If you're an uh, IDOC member, uh, eight, you can email the HR consulting team uh, for support in these areas. And with that, I will sign off. And thanks again, Amy. And thanks for listening to this latest edition of the IDOC Focal Point podcast. Thanks, Steve. All right. I thought that went real well. It did. Yep, it's done. Oh, God, thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. This <laughs> is getting easier for me. It's I got the easy part when I'm the host. You got the hard part. So. Oh, of course, yeah. All right, I Amy. Mean, I'm going to let you get back. I talk about these things all the time. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I know. It'd become, it's easy when it's on the other side and you're stuff you're familiar with, but... Um, that's why we, that's I'm why we sure you, I'm sure you've experienced some things where you're like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Thank you for asking me that question. I'm going <laughs> to stall as long as possible until I can actually figure out what it is I'm supposed to say in response to what you just asked me. And now I'm ready. <laughs> All, right. All right. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks so much, Steve. If, um, and you're going to send that over to marketing, right? I'm going to do it now. Yeah, I'll just forward it to them awesome. and then whatever, whenever they want to send that out. So you don't have to do yeah. anything. Um, and I appreciate uh, that. well wishes on your maternity leave. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm updating the, the guide now. So we'll send those things out together. Awesome. Perfect. Awesome. All right. Sounds good. Thank you. All right, thanks, Take Amy. Bye-bye.